Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus Christ is victorious. And yet, if you have your eyes open, we must admit that it does not always look like King Jesus has triumphed. Uh, Because if you've been even remotely aware of everything going on in the world for the past few weeks, it's become painfully obvious to us that we, as human beings, are frail creatures. Hospitals and cemeteries stand as roadside monuments to the reality that we are falling apart. Uh, Not many funeral homes go out of business. In fact, from the moment that your mother gave birth to you, the clock started ticking on your life. At the most basic level, we are biodegradable creatures trying to fight for our own survival. Most of us are just trying to ensure that we will live another day. Now, that sounds morbid, I know. But at the most fundamental level, we are weak. And yet, despite our own frailty, we often like to uh, think that we can sustain ourselves. That we can even uh, shove our weakness aside and perhaps even prolong our lives, maybe even avoid death altogether. We have incredible things in our country through the amazing advances of modern technology and an advanced market economy and scientific large-scale agriculture and the incredible science of modern medicine. We have been insulated from this reality of our own weakness. We've been able to avoid thinking about our own death. Our life expectancies have increased dramatically over the last two centuries. Uh, 200 years ago, I'd be considered middle-aged. And Steve, <laughs> he'd be a walking miracle. <laughs> but we've, we've actually come to expect to live to a ripe old age. And if for some reason we do not live that long, it comes as a shock to us. Because too many of us live with the mistaken assumption that we are immortal. And death has been banished from our minds. Oh, sure, none of us would say that, right? But that's how we live. We have have pushed our own weakness and our own death so far out of our social consciousness that all of a sudden, when something like the coronavirus does come up and reminds us of our frailty, we panic. Because we have done everything in our power to avoid talking about or thinking about our own mortality. We have dieted and exercised and medicated our way as far away as possible from death. And yet in weeks like this, our illusions of our own immortality are shattered. And we begin to be afraid. And the devil loves it when we're afraid. Now... I personally have two irrational fears. Uh, The first is somersaults. I am terrified of doing somersaults and I have no idea why. Uh, I do know though that my wife and my two-year-old son love to poke fun at me for being a chicken in this regard. Uh, My second irrational fear is eels. 
And uh, I can remember when I was 10 years old, I was getting ready to go on my very first mission trip. Uh, my dad was preparing to lead a team and invited me to come along. And uh, we took a mission trip to the exotic and dangerous far off land called Hawaii. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a tough trip. Somebody has to suffer for the gospel, right? And while we're on this mission trip in Hawaii, one day we got to go snorkeling at a place called Hanama Bay. Uh, like I said, tough trip. And so we're out there, we're snorkeling in the tropical ocean and the clear water and the colorful fish, you name it. And then somebody said, hey, there's eels over there in the water. And to this day, ever since that moment, I have been terrified of eels. Now, I, I've never met an eel face to face in the wild but every time I see the eels at the zoo, I'm reminded that I think they are just the most despicable creatures on God's green earth. And to be fair, I really only hate three kinds of eels. Big eels, small eels, and I also hate seaweed that looks like an eel. And this might be an irrational fear, but there also is another fear that's not quite so irrational, that pervades much of humanity. The devil loves to instill it deep within us. Scripture tells us that one of the devil's primary weapons is the fear of death. And through the fear of death, Satan loves to, to tempt us or, or to distract us. He tempts us to build up these facades of invincibility, getting us to buy into the lie that if we can just get rid of all signs of, of weakness or vulnerability or helplessness or ugliness, that if we can just become self-sufficient, strong, beautiful people, then perhaps we can build something that will last. Perhaps we can live a life that is significant and maybe we can even attain some level of immortality. And so we compete with one another because we feel threatened by people who are more successful than us, whose lives seem more substantial and significant and lasting than ours. Just think about all the things that we do from fear. We're scared of being alone, and so we chase romantic fulfillment or we try to find the perfect friend group. We're scared of being insignificant, and so we want to do things to make ourselves feel better. We go back to school to get more education or we try to climb the corporate ladder. We're scared of not having enough. So instead of trusting God with our money, we try to control it and, and we cease being generous. We're scared of being empty and boring. So we try to put pictures of our funny and exciting lives on Instagram. We're scared of not making a difference. And so we try to do things, nice things to help other people just to make us feel better about ourselves. We're scared of our lives being meaningless, and so we try to find meaning through a, a nice resume, a long list of accomplishments, by winning at everything we do, by, by getting the best grades, perhaps. We're scared of being unloved, and so we hide our true selves, or we manipulate, and, and we control, or we close ourselves off to those around us. We're scared of being seen as a fraud, and so we keep secrets, and we live lies, and we wear masks, all because we're afraid. In fact, after you're done watching this, I'd, I'd encourage you to talk together, together about the things that you might be afraid of and how that affects how you live and then also how the good news of Jesus uh, affects that fear. Because Satan loves to use this fear of death to get us to spend all of our time and our energy chasing significance and meaning in things like parenting, and career success and exciting experiences and getting the right amount of followers or likes or favorites or a sizzling love life or the perfect house, convincing us that if we can just have those things, then our lives will matter. 
And as he gets us to buy into these lies, we become enslaved to ideas and institutions that falsely extend to us the promise of durability and immortality, all because we are afraid. And then we get things like the news of the death of Kobe Bryant. And again, those illusions are shattered because death is no respecter of persons. Death doesn't care about your resume. Death is the bully on the playground of life and he picks a fight with every one of us. At the time that I wrote this sermon, there were 140,000 reported cases of the coronavirus worldwide, 5,000 deaths. The disease had been found in 136 countries. Now we have wonderful medical systems who are working hard to to fight the spread of this disease and by all means we should do our part to, to, to sanitize, to keep the spread of germs away. We should try to protect ourselves and others from harm's way and yet the spread of this virus has confronted us with our own helplessness, hasn't it? Uh, We like to think of ourselves as captains of our own destiny, masters of our own fate. I mean, just look at the amazing things that we can build and do for ourselves, right? And yet here we are confronted with a situation that is just completely out of our control. And the words of James chapter four, verse 14, rings true. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That seems like bad news. It seems like bad news that the death's gonna come for every one of us and that we're out of control and we're helpless. There's, There's nothing we can do about it. And yet there is good news. We call it the gospel. Gospel is a word that you'll hear us use a lot around here. And the word gospel simply means just that. It means good news. Specifically, the good news of Jesus. Paul tells us what the gospel is here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses two through four, when he says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the gospel. He says, the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came into our kingdom of death to bring his kingdom of life. First John chapter three says that the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And we just talked about that, right? That if the devil's work is is death and lying and fear, and Jesus came to destroy all of this, then the work of Jesus is life and truth and love. During Jesus' life on earth, Satan tries to tempt him also with the same fear of death that he uses to ensnare us. And Satan offers Jesus an easier way out. He offers Jesus the opportunity to pursue worldly fame or cheap satisfaction. He even offers Jesus the opportunity not to have to die on the cross. But Jesus looks death right in the eyes and he conquers the fear of death by going to the cross anyway. And when Jesus died, the devil probably thought that he had won. But the cross was just the Trojan horse. It was a triumph disguised as a defeat. 
Because on the third day, Acts chapter two says, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So now Satan's favorite weapon has been rendered ineffective. Colossians chapter two says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus has stolen back the power of death. It's in his hands. Revelation chapter one says, Jesus, he says, do not be afraid. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus Christ is victorious. And not only that, but scripture also tells us that his victory is our victory. In John chapter 11, Jesus, he shows up after the death of one of his close friends and he says something astounding. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, that's us, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says that through his death and resurrection, he has made a way for all of us to have life with him on the other side of death. His victory is our victory. Uh, During the 1990 NBA season in a game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, a Chicago Bulls rookie by the name of Stacey King scored just one point. But his famous teammate, Michael Jordan, scored 69 points that night. After the game, he was interviewed, and Stacey King said, I'll always remember this as the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. (laughs) And the same is true with us. Jesus has won the victory, and we get to reap the rewards. So, So how do we do this? How do we embrace this victory? Well, the way that we embrace this victory, we triumph over the fear of death. The way that we live in the kingdom of life is by, well, dying. Jesus says that if you want to get into the kingdom of life, you have to die. Matthew chapter 16, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And when we decide to put our faith in him, we demonstrate this and we enter into this kingdom of life by being baptized. And when we are baptized, our old selves go down into the water and die. We are buried with him. We are crucified with Christ, scripture says. And then when we come up out of the water, our new selves are raised to new life with him. Understand, this act of dying and being raised with Jesus in baptism is a profound reversal of the way the world works. And all of a sudden, the fear of death is vanquished. Because now, after we've died with Christ, instead of life leading to death and us just trying really hard to fight and survive, now all of a sudden we we willingly die and give up our lives in Jesus and, and he gives us new life. In Romans chapter six, Paul says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. In other words, because of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Hebrews chapter two says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, because Jesus is alive, you don't have to be afraid. 
In the early days of Christianity, evidence of this groundbreaking shift began to change how the whole world worked. In the ancient Roman Empire, there were laws mandating that the dead could not be buried inside city limits because the living were afraid of the dead. People were terrified of death, and so they actually made cities of the dead, cities that were just full of graves, so that the living and the dead could be separated. And then along came this group of Christians, these people who believed in the resurrection, and they didn't fear death anymore, and so they changed the way that the whole world works. They started to build graveyards right on church grounds. And and sometimes they would even bury people right under the floor of the church. So that actually when when the living came to worship every week, it was like they were joining together with the dead because they believed that those who died in Christ were already alive with Christ and worshiping with him. Everybody joining together in worship. And these Christians were different. They didn't chase significance and meaning and purpose and immortality in the way that the rest of the world did because they didn't fear death. And these Christians, they actually began to to, to rename these resting places from the dead that they made. And so they borrowed a Greek word that referred to dormitories, the place where people would sleep and then they would wake up again. And the word is the word cemetery. And so now every time you see a cemetery, you can be reminded that death does not have the last word. Because Jesus is alive, life lies on the other side of death for all of us who follow him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And some of you know this from experience. The enemy's not totally destroyed yet. We still die. We still have to come face to face with our own mortality, and it does hurt. But we have the hope of knowing that death will be defeated for good when Jesus comes back. And we don't grieve as those who don't have any hope, First Thessalonians 4 says, because when Jesus comes back, we're all gonna be resurrected. We're all gonna get our new eternal bodies. And for those of us who have followed him, we will live with him forever. Paul then goes on to say in verses 54 through 57, talking about that day, he says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory is our victory. So what now? How do we live in light of Christ's victory? Paul finishes the chapter in verse 58. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm, he says. Let nothing move you. On uh, April 4th, 1968, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And his violent death threatened to undo the work of his life. The entire civil rights movement was in jeopardy. The whole movement was full of divisions and factions and infighting. The people were demoralized because now their one dependable leader who unified them was gone. And in some ways, Dr. King's funeral felt like more than just a burial for the preacher, Dr. King. It felt like a burial for the whole civil rights movement. But then... At the memorial service, a man mounted the podium. His name was James Bevel. And in a voice like thunder, he said, there's a false rumor going around 
that our leader is dead. Our leader is not dead. Martin Luther King is not our leader. And then he paused, letting the full weight of his words fall on the crowd like a ton of bricks. Understand the civil rights movement was on the verge of shattering. How could he say something like that at a time like this? Our leader, he announced, is the man who led Moses out of Israel. Somebody in the crowd hollered out, that's the man. Our leader is the man who went with Daniel into the lion's den. The crowd hollered back, same man. Our leader is the man who walked out of the grave on Easter morning. Our leader neither sleeps nor slumbers. He cannot be put in jail. He has never lost a war yet. Our leader is still on the case. Our leader is not dead. One of his prophets died, but we will not stop because of that. And so the civil rights movement carried on. His victory is our victory. Because Jesus died and rose again, we can say with confidence the words of Psalm 23, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. That's why John and Ruth can move with their four little kids to a war-torn country in Eastern Europe. This is why throughout world history, when plagues would strike and when deadly diseases would sweep across the Roman Empire and later they would sweep across medieval Europe and people were terrified because people were dying right and left. In some cases, the mortality rate of these plagues was 90%. And so people fled the cities. They abandoned their homes. They ran to the countryside just to try to avoid the pestilence. Panic and fear ruled the day. When people's families got infected, they even abandoned their own families in an effort to avoid infection. Everybody panicked. Everybody ran. But one group stayed. One group moved into the disease-infected areas and they cared for the sick and for the dying at great personal risk. And it sometimes cost them their lives. It was the Christians. It was these people who believed that Jesus was victorious over sin and death. Even in the face of an uncontrollable outbreak and worldwide pandemonium, they still believed in the resurrection. And they refused to be enslaved to the fear of death. And it drove them to love their neighbors well and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a hurting world full of frightened people, even at great personal cost. So by all means, church, let's be vigilant. Let's be cautious, let's be wise, let's wash our hands and try not to spread germs around. But because Jesus died and rose again, we are not people of fear. We are not people of panic. We are not people of anxiety. We are people of faith because Jesus Christ is victorious. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are weak people. We're unable to save ourselves even in the face of a relatively simple virus. Especially, Lord, because we know that we were infected with a virus much more deadly. 
we know that the plague of sin swept over the whole earth and that we were doomed to die. And there was nothing we could do about it on our own. But you came and through your death on the cross, we have been healed. Lord, we know that you are strong and that you are victorious over sin and death and disease. So we ask for your help now. We ask for your mercy to be shown on the world, your power and your goodness. We ask that you would heal the sick, that you would protect the healthy, that you guide the doctors and the governments as they seek to stop the spread of this disease and as they seek to find a cure. And whether or not we're anxious about this virus, we all have fears that plague our hearts. And so Lord, as a church right now, we lay down our fears at the foot of the cross and we ask you to give us your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we would encourage you to take communion, to remember the victory that Jesus Christ has won through the shredding of his body and the spilling of his blood. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.